welcome to Rock Paper Swords, the historical action and adventure podcast. My name is Matthew Harfey. And mine is not. We are both best-selling historical fiction authors, and together we chat about all things historical and anything that could fall under the banner of action and adventure in books, film, TV, and games. Oh, and we also talk about rock music from time to time. We do. We do, we do. But today, we're going to do something a little bit different, although I'm aware that recently we did something else that was a little bit different like this. But yes, for the second time in not very many weeks... Um, we've got an episode without um, an external guest. And this is actually, instead of having someone in, um, we're going to do the second of our talks about our own books because today is a celebration of the publication of Stephen A. Mackay's new book. So my guest today is you, Stephen. We're going to talk about The Heathen Horde, First in the Alfred the Great series. It's published by Canelo and I think it's out now. So rather than the usual format um, today, I'm going to interview you. So welcome to Rock, Paper, Swords, Stephen. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for having me on. It's a great honour. <laughs> yeah, well, likewise. Um, it's it's actually it's quite unusual for me to be in the presence of such brilliance. So um, thank you for agreeing to to come on the show. I know your time is very valuable. Yes, certainly is. Yeah, I've got so much to do. And thanks for accepting the the usual fee. Um, I know that you know you well. You're used to being paid a lot more for an hour of your time. Yeah. So if anybody's listening and wants me to appear on their show, yeah, as usual, about five hundred pounds. Yeah, and um, so thanks for doing the discount price today. Um, so onto the book, the Heathen Horde. First, why Alfred the Great? Well, it was actually the editor's uh, choice. Canelo contacted me. I'd, I did a, a book review for them, for one of Damien Hunter's books. And the editor then said to me, you know, would, would you like to work with us? Would you like to work with Canelo? And I thought, I looked at all their covers and stuff, and I thought they were absolutely brilliant. And they've got a good stable of authors like Simon Turney and Angus Donald and Robert Lowe and guys like that. Uh, and I said, well, yeah, I'd, I'd quite like to work with you, but do you have anything in, in mind that you would like me to write about? I thought that'd be easier than me having to come up with an idea. And he said, uh, well, yeah, why don't we do Alfred the Great? And at the time, I never knew a thing, really, about Alfred the Great. Obviously, I'm from Scotland. We never get taught Alfred the Great at school. Um, so I had to go and research it. So I, I bought a couple of books just to see if it would be suitable, if it would be anything exciting about it. Which probably sounds ridiculous to anyone who knows anything about Alfred the Great, because his whole life was certainly eventful and really exciting stuff happened in it. So by the time I finished the first book, I was like, oh, this is perfect. This guy's absolutely perfect for for a novel or two or three. So that was, I, I got straight back onto the editor and I said, yeah, this sounds great, let's do it. And that's it. And the rest is history, as they say. Well, all of it's history, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so you said that his life is really eventful. And obviously, um, many people listening will know quite a bit about Alfred um, the Great's life. Um, so can you tell us what part of his life this first book, The Heathen Horde, covers? Yeah, this is basically from the Vikings first coming to 
uh, Britain. Well, not first coming because obviously that's in your uh, mm-hmm. books that we've just been discussing earlier on. Uh, but it's kind of round about the same time, eighty eight hundred to eighty nine hundred is when Alfred was fighting against the Vikings. So it, it goes from when he was. I can't remember his exact age, but he's about 18 or 19, I think, at the start of the book. Uh, the Vikings are like... Mid-9th century, right? So it'd be like 850 uh, no, or somewhere around there? It's, it's closer to 860. Yeah, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit yeah, later a bit than later, that. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I'm on the second book now, and that's kind of coming up to 890 at the end. So mm-hmm. it's, it's that kind of period. So I didn't want to start it off when he was too young, but we do have a bit of a flashback where he goes to Rome because I thought that was too important an event in his life, with him yeah. being such a, a Christian. Uh, so the editor said, why don't we add this in as a flashback and flesh him out a wee bit? So, but it is basically him. He's quite a young man in the in the first book, and it moves on. I'm, I'm just finishing the second book, actually, so it's, it's kind of hard to keep track of it in your head, isn't it? As we discussed <laughs> With your books, well, that's, uh, that's always the way, isn't it? When yeah, you're the, writing a book, yeah. the Heathen Horde is the new book, but to me, it's actually I've already written the second one pretty much. It just kind of needs to be edited and whatever. So, yeah, it's a bit confusing for me to keep it all on track in my head. So you mentioned that he's quite a young man in the Heathen Horde, um, and obviously, the character of Alfred, uh, many people will know, will be from the popularised version of him from Bernard Cornwell's novels and through the TV series um, of The Last Kingdom. But um, I haven't... I don't think I've seen a portrayal of Alfred in a novel form as um, like yours before. I mean, he's portrayed um, in this... In your book here, you portray him really as a red-blooded warrior, you know, full of passion. He's happy to stand in the shield wall along with the other warriors of Wessex, um, what led you to depict him in that way? Well, I'm actually quite surprised the way he's depicted in that TV series. He, he is a good character, and I suppose he's kind of got to be a foil for Uhtred. You couldn't have Alfred in that series being a, a big, tough guy because he needs all well, the basically people. have Uhtred doing everything yeah. Alfred did in real life. Yeah, it's exactly. Just, Uhtred's got it's, to... It's Uhtred, does it? Yeah, there's certain stories that are told about Alfred... Like he supposedly sneaked into a, a Viking camp at one point and acted as a minstrel and got out some intelligence from them. And Uhtred does that in the, that series. So yeah. I think I assume that's why Cornwell did it, was just to give Uhtred more to do, really, and make him seem more heroic. But uh, the kings at that time did have to stand in the shield wall. You know, they couldn't stand hide at the back because their warriors wouldn't have followed them. They wouldn't have respected them. So the real Alfred was definitely a warrior, and we know that he loved, he was a womanizer as well. He liked uh, drinking, fighting, having sex. Yeah, because that, that surprised me. So reading it, you know, you hear about the fact that he's obviously very Yeah, Christian he's such a Christian, very, yeah. And, and, you know, one of the early scenes of your book, you know, he's just got out of bed with two young women, yeah. and he's sort of hung over, and he's basically <laughs> the, 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 the typical... Warrior, sort of early, you know, twenties or late teens, sort of warrior, really, with a bit of money in his yeah, pocket exactly. and, money, know, yeah. and wealth and fame, and he's basically shagging and drinking and living yeah. it up. And this is what he did. And this is one thing that I found really interesting about him because there is this Christian side to him, and he really struggled with that. That 
he was kind of into that bit of debauchery, but he knew he shouldn't be doing it because it went against the teachings of the Bible. And, you know, he surrounded himself with people like Asser, who was a bishop. And in the first book, Asser's not in it yet because he's not met him yet. So he's, he's got a priest called Oswald and there's other priests and bishops and stuff like that all around him telling him what he should do and advising him. And he knows himself how he should behave to be a good Christian. But he just can't help himself because he's a young man. He likes a drink. And that leads him on to, you know, women throwing themselves maybe at him because he is a, a atheling or a prince, as he was yep. at, the, at the start of the book. And, I mean, it must be hard to avoid those kind of temptations. Yeah, he's like so, a rock star, really. I mean, yeah. you know, or a young, you know, young Prince Harry or whatever. He, you know, is that, yeah. How, how's the, how are you but not without, without the tabloids? Jumping? following yeah without the tablets but how are you going to avoid you know women throwing themselves at you especially when then the only chance of a woman progressing really in society was marrying you through marriage you know so i guess all these women would be throwing themselves at and trying to to get them to pick them you know exactly and if he was kind of drunk a lot of the time which probably a lot of them were because they were standing these shield walls fighting against vikings you know if you're on campaign there's probably not a lot to do other than sit terrified that you're going to die the next day and drink. So, yeah, I found it really interesting because Alfred, everybody knows that Alfred had terrible problems with, like, his stomach. He was supposed to have had Crohn's disease or maybe Mm. even it was IBS or something like that. But I thought there's probably a very good chance that that was caused by stress. I've never really seen much written about that in any of the books I read, but to me it seems obvious that if you're wanting to be a good Christian, but you're living this life of drinking and debauchery, and you kind of can't help yourself because you're just kind of tied to it and you're enjoying it so much, that that would cause a great deal of stress in a young man's mind. So I've tied that into this is where his kind of stomach ailments come from. He sees it as a punishment from God because of the Mm -hmm. way he's living his life. Um, And I think it's very realistic because... I know from personal experience how stress and anxiety can affect your physical well-being. I don't remember if I've told this story in the podcast before, but during lockdown, COVID, uh, when everybody was terrified, I started to get really cramps and stuff in my, in my stomach. And it was really frightening me because you couldn't go to the doctor really at the time. And it lasted for a few weeks and I was just getting worse and worse and more and more frightened. And I went to the the pharmacist and the guy that worked there at the time, the pharmacist himself, he was excellent. And I told him the symptoms and he said, that just sounds like IBS. And the minute he said it, the pains went away and they've never come back. So and you it just was, needed someone to say, you're fine. Exactly. Yeah. I just needed someone to alleviate the stress and the fear that was going on in my brain. And that's all it was. It was just stress. And to think Alfred probably suffered similarly without ever getting the respite of somebody saying to him, it's this or it's that, and this is how we can fix it. And so it, I kind of feel a, quite a deep affinity with Alfred, actually. Just all the womanising and drinking. <laughs> yeah, well, that was me in my younger days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you wish. Aye. <laughs> Don't let the way you feel In your that. dreams, you were like, Alfred, all the women throw themselves A rock star, aye. <laughs> yeah. Well... <laughs> And and you you obviously your very strong Christian morals were you know, worrying you because <laughs> uh, I know you're very very Christian. Well, 
No, not not exactly, but I'm kind of, unlike yourself, I'm quite spiritual. I do think there's something kind of out there. I never said I wasn't spiritual, I just said I'm not religious. All right, okay. <laughs> well, no, I'm not, like, I don't, I think that's one thing that Christianity kind of does a bad job of, is making you feel like you shouldn't be doing things. And this is kind of embodied in Alfred, the way the way he feels so physically ill. And I think to this day that religion kind of does that to people, makes them feel bad for doing things that are quite natural. Um, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, Matthew. You probably do some of them uh, quite a lot. All, all, the, all the time. Probably get bad eyesight. I'm doing, I'm doing one of them now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I'm, I'm Moving quite on. spiritual. So, yeah, I definitely did feel an affinity with Alfred. So apart from the fact that Alfred was actually a womanizing drunk <laughs> who struggled with his, you know, his, his his physical vices and his um and and the, the juxtaposition of that with his re- religious beliefs, uh, what were the were there any other big surprises for you uh, when you were researching this series? I don't know. I think the, the main one was uh, when the Viking fleet was coming to. Uh, attack Wessex and the the fleet was so big that basically that would have been it for Alfred and Wessex, they were done and then something happened and it kind of reaffirmed Alfred's faith in Christianity if he needed it at that time but I, I don't really want to get into too much detail with that because it's uh, one of my favourite, probably the favourite scene in that uh, book so I won't get into too much detail but yeah there was things like that when you were researching it, that you would you would read it and you think, God, this actually happened. I would never have made yeah. something like this up for a novel because it seems so unbelievable. And yet it did actually happen and it's well attested. So there was things like that uh, quite often in it, researching his life that you thought, well, wow, this is brilliant. This is just like something from a novel or something. It's such a exciting life. But apart from that, I don't, I don't think I found much that kind of surprised me or anything, um, other than the fact that he was much more of a warrior than than he was portrayed in mm. Bernard's stuff, because that's kind of what I was familiar with. So as far as I'm aware, lots of his life or most of his life story is written down by Asa, is it? Yeah. Is, is it Asa who wrote the life? And yeah. um, have you taken it, have you taken Asa's account as read, as like that's fact, or have you pushed against that and, and and deviated from what would be understood, you know, because maybe he was a he was writing it from a propagandist. Yeah, definitely. Whatever, have you? Yeah, well he was writing it for Alfred. So he was mm. obviously going to be bumming him up and making him sound better than it, it probably was. So no, I've just kind of made it just to make the story as kind of interesting and exciting as possible. I've just went with kind of what's accepted by scholars, you know. And it's strange because you'll read something in one book that says something happened and you won't be able to find it in any other books. So it's like, did this, where did he get this? Where did this author get this from? And it was, I actually made a mistake because of what one of the authors, I don't remember which book it was. I've got about seven or eight of them. And uh, they had actually had Alfred's birth date wrong, the year of his birth yes. wrong. And I was writing the whole book with this date, because it must have been the first one I'd read, 
and <laughs> that state is his birth. And so all the way through the heathen horde, Alfred's age was wrong. And well, this is that's really interesting you say that because I've um in a time for swords, the first book starts with the attack of the Vikings and Lindisfarne. Yeah. And for a good half of the novel when I was writing it, or whilst I started to write the first scenes and stuff, it was all in the winter time. Mm-hmm. Because the first account that I'd read said it was in January um seven nine three. And I thought and I started questioning and thinking, well, how you know, Vikings came across the sea, the North Sea in January. That would be so dangerous. You Unusual. Know, yeah. Winter winter time would be really dangerous to travel across the North Sea. I mean, gosh, you know, I really wouldn't fancy doing it now in a modern ship, you know, but in a Viking time. Anyway, and I, I started to research and then I found some accounts that said June. I was thinking, what's going on? Anyway, and I ended up contacting a few people and asking, and there's a mis like um a, a transcription mm-hmm. error in one of the um accounts of one of the old um Anglo-Saxon chronicles, I think, that they copy the date wrong, basically. And it is everybody now believes it's June, but one guy somewhere copied you know wrote January instead of June. I mean the Latin, you know, whatever. Um and but then some modern scholars have taken the wrong you know the wrong date and put it in their books and so it really is interesting you see lots of those discrepancies when you yeah. research when I mean, you become like a miniature ex- or like an expert on the minutiae of just one person's life or a few decades or something and you're reading all these different books you see that they misspell people's names or they get the birthdays wrong or they get them traveling to the wrong city or, or they don't have the birthday so, yeah yeah really weird and the problem is you're relying on these people because mm. they've had a book published by a publisher edited and hopefully fact-checked, and yet they've got something as fundamental as the year he was born wrong. And, you know, if if you put that... If I'd put the book out with his birth date wrong, you know, you'd be getting terrible reviews from people saying, this guy never did his research. But actually, I did do research. Yeah, and, well, it just uh, goes to show you need to research yeah. across a wide lot yeah. of books and, you know, double-check that... Yeah. Have, uh, like, so facts. that kind of was an interesting thing with the research, yeah. But you you mentioned that the Vikings come in over in winter. Well, actually, that happens a lot during Alfred's life because they like to attack during feasts, Christian feasts, so like at Christmas or midwinter, whatever they would call it. Well, uh, yeah, so this is what I said to start with. I thought, well, maybe, you know, it's possible and stuff, but, you know, Northumberland in yeah. winter, it's that's a, I mean, anyway. I, I suppose it's, it's no colder than, it's probably warmer than where they were coming from. Yeah, but you just got loads more storms and stuff. I mean, yeah, just, they're more I mean, dangerous. And I yeah. wouldn't really. Fan- I mean, yeah, I mean, these guys are brave, but you know, you wouldn't put yourself at risk unduly, um, yeah. unless, like you say, you, you're going to attack. And I did wonder to start with because I think it was the sixth, and it says the sixth of January. And I thought, like you, I thought, well, this could be that it's the feast of it's the Epiphany. Mm-hmm. So the sixth of of January is the the twelfth night, and so I thought, yeah. well, maybe it was tied into this religious. So I had all this in my mind, and then I thought, well, nowhere does it mention. The fact that it's the epiphany, and you know, and then I started questioning it, and and then I thought, oh, hang on a minute, and this... there would not really be any need to surprise like a, a load of monks, because well, exactly. they, they couldn't no, defend yes, themselves so... anyway. And of course, this is different from later on. Like you're talking about 60, yeah. 70 years later, when people are expecting the attacks from the Vikings at this point, it was like the first, maybe not the very first time yeah. they'd ever attacked British soil, but the, the monks weren't expecting it at all, and so couldn't they just defend. turned up, and, yeah. and as I said, oi. You know, the only th- the only thing I thought was important was that they would have made sure, and I've got this in the book, they would have made sure that the tide was right, so that right. the people couldn't have ridden across the causeway to pre- pre- from Bamborough Castle. 
you know, so there's a good few hours. There's like eight hours, or whatever. That the tide covers the the, the, the you right. know, makes it an island, makes Linda's final island. So I thought, well, they come in. It's an island at that point. They they've got a good five or six hours to just rampage do the lake. They want, back uh, in the ships, off halfway across off the North go. Sea before anyone can get there. You know. So aye, uh, that was perfect. interesting, as you say, like uh, sixty or seventy years after that. The likes of Alfred and his thanes were expecting Viking attacks to come at some point. But what the Vikings did would they would sail down the rivers throughout England in winter and march over land, even snow and ice, and they would attack. And they did it actually to Alfred when he was in Chippenham, which is when he had Chippen, to yeah. he had to run away basically and hide in the marshes in Athelney, and that was at Christmas time uh, in the winter. So yeah, it's it, very near. that was a tactic they like to employ. It's very near where I live, Chippenham. It's right, literally twenty minutes drive from me. Yeah, I go there quite a lot. Um, and I've got a, a bit of a um, slightly jokey question here, but you know, I, I actually, I as I say, live very close to there, and also near the Battle of um, is it Ethendon or Eddington? What's the Eddington. So that's. Um, also, I can see the white horse that there is in, in supposedly where that battle took place right. from my house. Yeah. Um, so it's all very close, and so you know, I live in in the area popular. You know, that's that's important to to Alfred's life and where all of these many of these battles took place. Um, and I'm within an hour's drive of Winchester, so um, you're covering all of this stuff. I live there. When are you coming to visit? <laughs> I know it's about like you. Right in your western, and then deciding to go to America once you've finished it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think if my son wasn't so young, I would, I would be traveling, kind of a lot more to see these places. But that's the thing; he's only nine, and I, I don't really like to leave him uh, for too long. Obviously, my wife's oh. here looking after him, and my daughter's fifteen, so she's there helping out as well. But I think I'm enjoying. You know, being a dad to these two kids just now, and I think once they're older, I'd probably travel more. So to answer your question, probably when he's about 16, he's not interested in me entertaining him anymore. <laughs> but it would be great no. to, obviously, you're right next to it. You can see it all. I have to go into Google Maps. and Yeah, well, you're welcome to come and visit. I mean, it'd be great yeah. to show you around some of these sites and all these places, you know, Bath and Chippenham and mm-hmm. um, and Eddington and Winchester. Well, that's, and all, the problem is the... The trilogy will be finished by the time. Absolutely, but it'll still I mean, be. Maybe next year. Maybe next year I'll be down your way. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a possibility. Yeah, hopefully we've got something maybe lined up there and we'll get together. But the, the trilogy will be finished by then. So yeah, it'll be well, a bit, a bit late. But still, I'll show you the sites if you get down this way. Yeah. Um. So I think. I've mentioned this to you before, but I think this is the first time that you've written a novel in which the protagonist is a historical figure. And in this case, obviously a king and a very famous king with lots of um, background information about him and his life described by Asser and others. Um, Did you enjoy that change from writing about a purely fictional character to a real historical character? Well, it's not as much fun because you can't just make up stuff. And you can't, if you need something exciting to happen, you can't just make up a battle because it would have been written down. So from that aspect, no, it wasn't 
as enjoyable as writing complete fiction. But it was easier because everything's basically written down. There's a timeline online that you can find where the most important events of his life are all kind of listed. So, you know, you just have to stick to that uh, schedule, basically. And as I said earlier, that there was enough things that were exciting that happened in his life. That certainly for these first two books anyway, there's been a ton of stuff, battles, and uh, I've, I've added a wee bit here and there, just made up some characters that I've never mentioned in the histories, just, just to make it more exciting and to give Alfred like friends and stuff like that. We, we know about Asser was obviously a, a close companion of his and he was married and he had children, but there's not really much in the the research books about him having any friends or anything, so I thought it'd be good just to have invent some for him and then they can have the odd wee adventure, the odd wee betrayal and always there in his, in his hall to enjoy a, a drink with him after a battle and stuff like that. So, yeah, I have enjoyed writing about an actual historical figure, but I'm I'm looking forward to getting back to Bellicus and just making up whatever whatever I feel like, and nobody can say that it's wrong. Yeah. So what proportion of the story is based on the actual known history and how much is just made up then? It sounds like a, most of it is... Yeah, is most of it's the... real. Most of it's real. Okay. I just had to try and make it sound like exciting and not dry. Um, but to be honest, it wasn't really that hard because, as I say, the stuff that was happening in those early years of his adulthood, you know, it was really, it lent itself to a good historical novel, I think. Hopefully readers will agree. But yeah, certainly that first book where he was struggling with his faith and his physical ailments and the Vikings coming over and wrecking his kingdom, his brother died. You know, he was kind of thrown into the, the role of king. It was never expected that he would be king because he had all these other brothers but they all died off um, and it was kind of thrust upon him. And it's just testament to the fact that he got through his physical ailments and all these hardships. And he did, you know, if he enjoyed a drink, as as reported, and, you know, he, he managed to get through it. He, he didn't become this waster, basically. You know, he did. he's such a strong character that he's known as Alfred the Great nowadays. So if you're going to write a, a novel or a trilogy, a series about anyone, somebody that's called The Great is kind of a good choice. Yeah. So just well, just on that note, um, you mentioned it's a trilogy. Is that it then? Is it definitely going to be three books? No plans to continue beyond? Well, I don't know yet. Uh, as I said, I've, I've kind of finishing off the second book now. Most of that's uh, down, the first draft. And then I've got to write the third book, which will be the kind of latter years of his life, which I haven't really researched at all. I've been kind of doing it in bits as I'm going along. Um, I suppose it's open because his son, Edward, took over once Alfred died and there's plenty of exciting stuff happened there. Cornwell's series uh, follows Edward to an extent and his daughter, Ethelfled. So... If if these books sell amazingly well, then I would expect the publisher to ask me to do more. And if they didn't, I suppose I could just self-publish another 
trilogy or whatever. Well, I don't know. I have I've not even thought about it to be honest because we'll need to wait and see how the the first one sells. If it does absolutely nothing, then I'll just need to forget about it and just move back to my own stuff. So talk about your own stuff that's not that you've tradition that you've independently published. Um, you mentioned before Bellicus and the Druid series. So that's your main series that you're working on, apart from this one. Yeah. Apart from the Alfred ones. Um, so how many of those have you got planned? What's the, what's next up for Bellicus? There's absolutely no plans to ever end end them. I mean, it will eventually come to it because he'll be an old man like Utrud eventually was. And I don't want it to get to the stage where it's just strung out too much. But to be honest, I think Bellicus is such a good character and Duro as well that, you know, I can see them just having adventure after adventure. And there's a supporting cast like Arthur, King Arthur and Merlin flit in and out of the, the series. And there's certain things I would like Bellicus to do as a druid and as a man. Um, so... No, there's no plans really to end that. I don't know how many will, will come out of it. I think the worrying thing is I don't really have any other series planned. You know, so it's like if I don't do Bellicus and the Alfred books don't do particularly well, what will I do next? So oh, well, <laughs> the answer is just keep doing up. the Druid. <laughs> well, something will come up. Well, it's yeah, like, that's it. It's like the Alfred stuff. You had no idea that you'd be yeah, writing that would... Two years ago, you had no yeah. idea you'd be writing Alfred and you've managed to write two books so far and you'll be writing the third one. Yep. And um it's like me with this um with the the 19th century book that I've done. I mean I don't know if that's going to sell well and I'll end up writing mm. more in that in that time frame. But I was terrified of starting it because I thought, oh, yeah, how can you you do this? But once you really get your teeth into something and you start doing it, you realize that really as a writer it is just about hard work really and putting your head down, isn't it? Once you do that then the inspiration inevitably comes i think and i think it's it's also a bit easier that we're both full-time authors now so yeah if you want to write a book that's kind of out of your wheelhouse your usual style it's only going to take you six months or whatever whereas when we were both working full-time to write a book was a a much bigger more time-consuming endeavor it would maybe take up a year of your life and then you would maybe even take longer to edit it or whatever so it was a huge commitment whereas now we can kind of get it over and done with and move back to our own series and start earning money again, even if the other one doesn't do that well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, how these excursions yeah. for us will do. I'm sure they'll, I'm sure yours will do well because, you know, Alfred the Great, it seems like a brilliant um, thing to focus on because, obviously, there's lots of people that are interested in that period of history. You've yeah. still got people who are interested in the Last Kingdom, but also just from a historical perspective you know it's a really important character so and obviously the vikings and everything as well so i think you'll you'll that series is going to do great i'd imagine um and the and the front cover is fantastic yeah. which brings me on to the cover of the heathen horde actually just to say um who did the cover and did you have some input into into what it should look like and what do you think about it Absolutely love it. I think it looks amazing, um, especially when you see it like blown up on like the laptop screen, and you get all the water at the sides. You know, the book cover's very narrow, but the it actually expands out. I assume they'll use it for the back cover, and there's water there, and it just looks so realistic. You kind of lose yourself in the picture, so I think it's brilliant. Um, I don't know who who the artist is. Uh, the 
my editor just told me it was a new guy that they were working with and they were really pleased with his working. Yeah, I obviously I agreed. But as for input, yeah, he asked me what I would like on the cover and I kind of gave him some ideas. I would like a ship and I had wanted like a figure on the, like a man, Alfred basically, on the cover, but the editor said he didn't think that they worked that great. And I can see his point, even in my own covers, I think they probably works better when there's not like a, a close-up figure. It's all right if they're in mm-hmm. the distance. Like on the Bear of Britain cover that I've got, they're in the distance. I think that's kind of a bit more atmospheric than someday. Yeah. And also, you don't really want to tell the reader or show the reader what Alfred looks like because it might not fit what they've got in their head. So you're better just to leave that to the imagination. But yeah, I was asked uh, for my opinion. And it's the same with the second book. He's asking me again now what you want to do for the second book, if you get any ideas. Um, so we'll see how that pans out. But obviously, you don't want to do the same thing again. But at the same time, it has to fit the first one. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with the second one. Hopefully they use the same artist at least and keep the yeah. theme going. I'd imagine they will. I mean, the covers, Canelo yeah. covers seem to be really good, really high yeah, quality. Yeah. You've obviously you've gone for the um, the, the popularised um, alliteration of the title, which obviously was copying me. I understand <laughs> that that that's what happens when someone does really well, you know, in a genre. You try yeah, to emulate them. So I, you know, I take that as a compliment. Um, but uh, so are the next books going to be alliterative as well? The titles, yeah, kind of. Although I never thought about it at the time. Attack was... of the Alfred. Yeah, the the voice of the Vikings. (laughs) Uh, Vitriol of the the Vengeance of the Vikings. There you go. Could be that. Although we don't actually call them Vikings, do we? Well, they're called Norse. The Naughty Norse. The Naughty Norse, yeah. The Nasty Norse, I think, is a bit bit more evil. Oh, yeah, the the Nastiness of the Norsemen. There you go. That's (laughs) it. I'll give you that one for free. That's pretty good, actually. Um. (laughs) It yeah, the second... like a children's book would be pretty good, actually. The Nasty Norse. The Horrible Histories book. or something. Yeah, it'd be uh, brilliant. Probably is uh, called that, actually. Probably is, <laughs> probably is the history. The Horrible Histories probably have got one called exactly. The Nasty Norse. Uh, no, the alliteration thing. No, I never really did that on purpose. The editor said he liked The Bear of Britain. That was his kind of favourite of my own titles. They wanted something similar. Yeah. yeah, so I just sat down and wrote out a whole huge sheet of paper full of titles, which are all kind of fairly generic. We've spoken about this before. You, you have to be generic to let the reader know what they're going to get inside. So, but the Heathen Horde are kind of referred to as that in the book, I'm sure, more than once. So it just seemed like a natural title. Um, and the next one is, is kind of something similar again with the alliteration. Uh, but the third, I don't even remember what the third title we agreed on was, because I've not really been thinking about the third book. I don't think that's alliterative. Mm. Have to wait so can you tell it. us the second Can you tell us the second title now, or is that top secret still? It's probably secret. I better not. This is the thing when you've got a publisher. If I was just self-publishing it, I'd be quite happy to spill the beans. But because um, it's we've not even got the first book out, I'd probably better keep my mouth shut or I'll get my knuckles wrapped, maybe. Um, Fair enough. I've, there was one, I wanted to call it something, it's a quote from Alfred, I don't remember what it was, but I quite liked the quote, 
And um, I use it in the book because I wanted to call the book this. I've got him saying it in the book. But the editor said, no, that's too long. That won't fit in the yeah. cover very well. It's, so, it's funny. I've With this recent spate of me going through, the, trying to come up with the title for the latest, not the Day of Reckoning, but the, the other yeah. one, um, going through the millions of things. I mean, I, I was looking at all the themes that are covered in the book, and I was looking up quotes from sort of philosophers mm. or people that had said things about the sort of themes that are tackled. And and it's funny how, as a writer, you because you know the work so intimately, you sort of think, oh, this little snippet from some quote from a letter that somebody wrote, that yeah. would sound great, you know. But funnily enough, the, the, the editors... <laughs> Never That's like agreed. those things. I think they're too esoteric or too sort of distant and not generic enough and not punchy enough, maybe. Yeah. And the thing is with but... Alfred, he's got a few kind of quotes that people recognise if, if right. you've Ooh. ever studied them. Oh, I burnt the cakes. Ah, exactly. Although he wasn't so... Scottish. Oh, no, but he is when you're writing him, obviously. <laughs> Aren't all your characters yeah. Scottish? Don't in my, your head, speak, in my head, they are. Oh, I burnt the cakes. <laughs> that doesn't happen in the first book. Oh, okay, fair enough. I thought it that's might all never he happen. did. Eh? <sighs> I thought that's all he did. That was all he was famous for, wasn't he? Wasn't he? Uh, well, yeah, it's probably Alfred the Great Baker. Yeah, so that's was... the most exciting thing that was ever to happen to him, I suppose. Yeah, yeah which is fair enough that you wanted to steer away from the obvious. Yeah. Um, well, it might so... be in the second book. I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but it, it, those oh. events don't occur in the first book that it's not in the timeline the, 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 okay if 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 the cake burning doesn't happen i'll be very disappointed yeah well i think people probably would be disappointed so maybe i found a clever way to work it in oh I'm, I'm hoping i'm hoping i hope you did if you've found a clever way of working it in it will be a first for you thanks mate <laughs> which brings us nicely on to the end of the episode i think you've spoken enough about how clever you are um uh, no uh, i just it's you never, know, it's, never it's, enough of that. Well, okay. Well, it's it's enough. It's enough for me. I can't put up with any more. Um, but we we always ask uh, the same questions to our guests at the end of every episode. Um, and the first of them is, um, what have you been reading and watching recently? Well, reading. All I really have been reading for the past year is Alfred books, research books. It's just constant books about Alfred, the various different biographies about him. Same, listening to audible editions and stuff just to get as much into my brain as possible. Or non-fiction books about Vikings, non-fiction books about Viking uh, stories and myths and legends and stuff like that, just to bring it in and add a bit of colour mm-hmm. to the Vikings because you don't want to have them just as this bad bogeyman that's had no culture. And, bastards. That's but, yeah, and kill all they did was fight and, you know, and go around wrecking the place which is part of what they did, obviously, but, you know, there was a bit more to them. So that's what I've been reading, is just research books. I don't really get much time to read fiction or anything. Um, And watching, as you know, I've been watching a YouTube channel that's about these two guys uh, going and break into abandoned places, basically, and ghost hunt. And they never really find anything, obviously, because there's probably nothing to find. Yeah, Yeah, funnily (laughs) enough, they never really find much evidence of paranormal activity but what they do is they get very frightened when things happen and it's, it's just really entertaining to watch them shitting themselves basically every time I love there's the like idea. a thump yeah I love <laughs> the idea of sort of of, of making 
making a whole thing about I'm going to search for something that doesn't exist and and it's going to make me money. It's just kind of funny. Well, so they go into these like abandoned old houses that nobody's lived in for a decade. It's pitch black. They're in the middle of nowhere. And you can actually hear like footsteps in the house up the stairs, but they've been through it. They know there's nobody in it. So it is exciting. It's more exciting for me because you keep thinking somebody is in this house. You know, they're going to get stabbed or something. <laughs> is, there, is there no chance that um, the, the, the stuff they hear is just made up, that part of their production team? Well, I says, suppose right, well, it could be, but that's a bit... Steps. It's a bit cynical to look at it like that, Matthew. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know what they did. These guys? Well, well, I remember the, the Most Haunted series. People that were at one of the live events said that there was the production team were throwing stones about to make noises. Um, so, I maybe... Maybe they do, but I think they would probably make some more exciting happen. It's usually just the odd thump here and there or something oh, falls it seems, over. It seems to work, though, you see. It draws uh, you in. It's got to be just enough that you believe. Exactly. Uh, well, they're just a couple of amateur guys that just wander around in the dark and scare themselves. So I've been watching that ghost theory, it's called, and uh, a more uh, exciting production, maybe, The Professionals. I've been watching that in Blu-ray again. Gosh, again. You're obsessed with the professionals. You've mentioned them a few times. Yeah, The Professionals, Robin of Sherwood and The Prisoner, that's kind of the three Blu-ray sets that I, I go back to all the time. I'm just stuck in the past. Fair enough. I'm, obviously, as a historical fiction, right, exactly. that's a perfect yeah, perfect place. So it brings us on to the last question, is what have you been listening to recently? And did you listen to music whilst writing The Heathen Horde? Uh, listening to recently, probably the Enslaved album. They're a kind of Viking stroke black metal band. Um, and they have a new album recently called Heimdall. I'm All not right. sure exactly yeah. what that means. I think it's the name. It's the name of a yeah, character. Yeah, it's, it's a name of a character. Uh, He's a god, isn't he? He's the, the watcher. There's actually isn't a ton he? of uh, songs called Heimdall or Heimdaller. Isn't uh, he the, the guy who watches the, the um, Bifrost, isn't he? Do you know, I'm sure I've actually included this story in the, the second book, but it all kind of blurs into one and you forget the, the exact names. But yeah, that's uh, what I've been listening to is Enslaved, and I kind of listen to them constantly when I'm writing my books. Uh, they're a bit more intelligent than a lot of those extreme metal bands, and they're kind of from... Where are they from? Norway, I think they're from. So they're actual real Vikings, Compared to me, anyway. <laughs> you might so, have more yeah. Viking blood, being from Scotland. You never know. Well, you that's true. Viking, you never know. Uh, but these guys, you know, they look like Vikings and stuff like that, and they wear all the the armor and things like that. Sometimes, not so much nowadays. I think they're a bit old for it. But yeah. So if anybody's looking for atmospheric kind of music to li listen to while you're reading a Viking book, check out Enslaved. Okay. Good. Well, thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Have you enjoyed the recording? Yeah, it's Stephen, been great. Yeah, very insightful oh. questions, Matthew. Thank you very much. I put a lot of effort into those. It was, um, whew, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been, it's been an honour to have someone of your stature on yeah. the show. Yeah, I'm sure it has. Until now, you know, Bernard Cornwell was the best guest, um, you know, and uh, uh, from the historical fiction point of view. Yeah, Dan Jones and um, Ian Anderson, Simon Scarrow, and Ian Anderson from a music perspective, but now. Towering above all of those, the Colossus. So, thank you very much. The Colossus, yeah, the Colossus, striding above 
um, the podcast. A bald powerhouse, as my friend calls me. <laughs> a bald something. On that note, <laughs> I'm going to uh, draw a veil over um, your powerhouse and um, say that's it for today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, please take a moment to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And don't, don't forget to subscribe. Let us know if you have any questions or things you would like us to cover in future episodes. We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash rock, paper, swords podcast and x at rock underscore swords. You can find out more about our books on matthewharfey.com and stephenemackay.com. The theme music is written and performed and copyrighted by us. Until next time on Rock, Paper, Swords, it's goodbye from me, Matthew Harfey. And it's goodbye from me, Stephen A. McKay. And remember, whatever action and adventure you have going on in your life, be kind. Stay safe. And happy reading. Vaseline on, looped up. <laughs>